What is up, fight fans? Welcome to episode number 141 of The Neutral Corner. I am your host, Michael Montero, for Boxing Monthly Magazine at BoxingMonthly.com. TNC 141 for the week of October 6th. Man, we're in October already. It's already the fourth quarter of the year. This is crazy. Uh, sorry we're coming to you late this week, guys. Uh, those of you who uh, follow me, um, you guys already know I, I was in L.A. last weekend for a wedding and I just got back to Atlanta late last night. You could probably hear the exhaustion in my voice. Uh, good trip. Very, very good trip. Had a lot of fun. Um, and, you know, it was um, it was nice to be back in my old stomping grounds after the wedding. Uh, Tiff and I stayed a night in Koreatown. But during our time out there um, going to this wedding, it was actually Tiffany's younger sister that got married to her uh, high school sweetheart. They've been together since high school, college, and now they're both out of college and stuff. So they're living together, working, and uh, got married. Not a huge wedding, but a big wedding. It was probably 100 or so people there. And it was nice to see uh, so many people just expressing love. It was this nice, happy, positive environment. And then on top of that, I got to see some family out there. Uh, my brother lives in Long Beach. My mom was visiting from the East Coast, visiting him for his birthday. So I saw those guys. I saw some friends that are like family to me. And one of the things you know I saw at the wedding that I really, really enjoyed was everybody just letting uh, their loved ones know that they love them. You know, I, I heard a lot of, I love you, man, I love you, you know, that kind of a thing. And I just took that with me the rest of the trip. And everybody that I saw, um, just dear, dear friends of mine, I let them know that I love them. And I just feel that uh, that's something I definitely don't do enough of. And we don't have enough of that in the world, damn it. We don't have enough love in the world. So I thought about it. My fee for this week, guys, my fee for this episode, episode number 141 of TNC, is to let somebody in your life know that you love them. And I'm not talking about your ma or your girl or your pet. That's easy. I'm talking about one of your boys. For, for ladies listening, I'm talking about one of your girls. Let one of your dear, dear friends know that you love them. And you know what? If it's awkward and they give you a look because they don't quite know how to take it, so what? Say it anyway. Let them know you love them. That is your homework. That is your fee for TNC 140 run, uh, 141. And of course, uh, guys, I'll remind you, go to Patreon, go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, SoundCloud. Ratings, reviews, follows, likes, shares, subscriptions, all that good stuff. Get the word out about MOB. But in the meantime, let one of your people in your life know that you love them. All right? News and notes. Okay, so uh, I hate to start off the episode here with some bad news, but uh, some tragic news out of Italy. Graziano Roccagiani. You guys might remember that name because of uh, the WBC lawsuit that goes back a long time ago. But uh, former super middleweight and light heavyweight world titleist was killed in Italy. He was hit by a car. He was walking and I guess a car hit him. Look, man, over there in Italy and just that part of the world, the, uh, the roads can get very, very narrow. And this sort of thing happens more than you would think. So tragic news in the boxing community this week we lost uh, a fighter and you know how many times do we lose guys to injuries suffered in the ring or violence in the streets a lot of fighters come from that sort of upbringing and here it is just a random crazy thing a guy gets hit by a car and dies so uh, rest in peace to Rokajani and uh, thoughts and prayers for his family um, okay let's get into some more uh, interesting news some good, some bad, mixed bag. Let's talk about Canelo Golovkin. So uh, before uh, I was recording episode 140, the, the total figures hadn't come out for the rematch yet. And I won't spend too much time on this, but it is interesting to note. So, okay, Canelo Triple G2, uh, it brought in $23 million plus in, in revenue, just as far as tickets sold. Fourth best all time in Las Vegas. So that is an accomplishment. However, the first fight was the third best all time in Las Vegas history. So uh, this was the fourth biggest gate, but 
just slightly under, slightly less than what the first fight did, which is the third best gate of all time. So why did that happen? You would figure a rematch like this would bring in more revenue. That's what I thought would happen originally. But when I was there at fight week, I saw some of the reasons why this thing didn't quite track as well. Uh, so apparently 16.7 thousand tickets were sold according to the Nevada Athletic Commission. 1.4 thousand comps. Right there is part of the issue. You're giving away over a thousand free tickets. Now that happens for all these Vegas fights because the casino does a buy. They do a buy-in up front. The promoters get a ton of money up front. And a lot of this stuff includes free ticket packages and stuff like that to get whales to come to the casino. But also remember, I told you guys about all that celebrity list, you know, these A-lister celebrities, and let's be honest, some B and C-lister celebrities who came to the fight and Golden Boy was acting like this was some huge accomplishment. I could give a flying you-know-what. But how many of those celebrities paid for those tickets? Come on, man. They weren't paying for those damn tickets. You think LeBron James paid for his ticket? No, they're giving comps. So a lot of these guys, now look, the whales and all that, I get it. The whales are going to the casino. They're dropping half a million dollars, you know, over the weekend. I, I get that. But these celebrities ringside, normally I wouldn't give a damn about this sort of thing. Everyone does it. PBC does it. Top Rank does it. Matchroom does it. Everybody does. But when the entire media section was pushed back 50 yards to put in more of these high-priced tickets so that they could accommodate more of these comps for celebrities to sit ringside. Yeah, I get a little bit pissed off. Also with Golden Boy Promotions and Eric Gomez, they talk about this fight being a sellout. It wasn't. Now, it is a big deal that you sold that many tickets, particularly for a fight that got delayed. There was all this controversy. It should have happened in May. It didn't happen until September. All sorts of things going on, right? We're right in the middle of uh, the playoff haunt with Major League Baseball. NFL's kicking off, NBA, NHL are kicking off. There's a lot of competition. I get it. It's an accomplishment. But you would have probably, no probably about it, you could have sold 20,000 tickets and legitimately sold out the T-Mobile Arena if you would have cut the damn ticket prices. But to accommodate the fighters' financial demands, and by the way, ladies and gentlemen, that does include Gennady Golovkin. It wasn't just Canelo Alvarez making demands. Now, I don't blame Triple G because if you're going to deal with the devil in Vegas, you might as well get paid top dollar for it. I get it. But because of the financial demands from both fighters and both sides essentially going for the money more than anything else, you sold 16.7 thousand tickets. If this fight and I know I'm beating a dead horse, but if this fight had been in even Los Angeles at Dodger Stadium, which was open on that day, and there was a bid made by the, the ownership team at Dodger Stadium, you could have sold 50,000 tickets. Yes, that would have included a bunch of $30 seats way up in the nosebleeds, but so what? You could have changed the game. Now, with some of the news with HBO, which I'll get into in a second, Possibly that does affect a third fight, but there's also some WBC news, which I'll get into in a second, that will definitely affect a third fight. But I'm hoping that if a third fight does happen, it's taken out of Vegas, it's taken to a real venue, and there are some ticket prices that actual diehard working class fight fans can afford. And I don't give a shit where it rates on the all-time Gates history. I don't give a shit. I care about where it rates an all-time die-hard, memorable fight experiences list. That's what I give a shit about. But that's another rant for another day. All right, so the WBC just had a convention. And a bunch of news has come out of this. But um, one, one little tidbit as it relates to Canelo Golovkin. The WBC has granted Canelo Alvarez a voluntary defense. Well, no shit. We all saw this coming, right? I told you guys, David Lemieux won the Canelo sweepstakes. Uh, Golden Boy had this all set up with the BC and everything else. And, you know, it's fine. It's legitimate in a sense because Canelo's just coming off a win, beating Triple G, which is a rematch that the WBC okayed. I get all that. But technically speaking, Jamel Charlo has had the interim title. Now, look, he beat uh, a 
peg leg, you know, a cripple to get the damn title. But uh, fine. He hasn't, Jermell Charlo hasn't done much to deserve a title, okay, even though it's an interim title. But technically speaking, he's held the WBC interim title now for a while. And he's been highly rated in the BC ever since he moved up to middleweight. He's again, he fought uh, a, a B level uh, opponent. And before that, he fought a peg leg cripple. So he hasn't done much, but he's technically held their interim title. Now, normally in these situations, when a new ch champion beats a prior champion, they inherit that prior champion's mandatory. And for an example of this, look no further than the situation when Canelo Alvarez beat Miguel Cotto and thus inherited Cotto's mandatory, which was Triple G. Now, Canelo wanted in, uh, an extension, an exemption. He didn't want to fight Golovkin at that time. The WBC said, no, this is our process. You won this title. He was the mandatory. Now he's your mandatory. So what did Canelo do in that time? He said, you know what? Screw this. He threw the WBC title in the garbage, and he told them, I ain't doing business with you guys no more. And he went his own way for a couple years. Since that time, Mauricio Suleiman has been slobbering all over Canelo, trying to get back in his good graces, and finally has. So it is no surprise that suddenly the WBC has changed their process for Canelo and said, yeah, you inherited this mandatory, but we're going to make the former champion fight him, and the winner of that fight can fight you. So uh, just the way things are going at the WBC lately with one particular fighter... It's, it's, uh, it's hard not to notice, all right? I'm just going to leave it at that. So uh, you guys draw your own conclusions there. Also, the WBC makes a ruling on David Benavidez, who just got busted for a co cocaine use, was the super middleweight titleist. He is now the champion in recess. Normally, someone who's been doing blow and gets caught doesn't get champion in recess. Uh, I don't know about that ruling. I think you should just strip the guy and he should have to work his way back. However, the ruling is that Anthony Durrell and Avni Yadiram are the next two rated contenders. They will fight probably for the vacant title. And should Benavidez be able to clean himself up and come back, he immediately goes right into a title shot. Now, we've seen other fighters in the past screw up do something and get arrested, uh, get caught with drugs, whatever. And they weren't the champion in recess. They had to work their way back to a title. Not so for David Benavidez. He gets himself clean. He gets back in the ring. He gets right back at the title. So that is the WBC. And um, there's another couple of rulings that uh, I'll get into a little more next week once that stuff has been uh, a little more finalized, okay? Let's talk about HBO boxing because that affects the Canelo Golovkin situation like I was just talking about and so many others. HBO is out of boxing now. I don't know about you guys, but the more and more and more I think about this, obviously the writing's been on the wall. We've been talking about it for a year or so, right? And I'm not the only one. We Pretty much everybody knew that this eventually was coming. But uh, to be honest with you, I thought they were going to carry on for another year or so. I'm relieved that they did it now. I'm relieved that they are out of the sport by the end of this year. And 2019, going forward, at least here in the United States, there will only be one premium cable network that features boxing. I think that's healthy. I think it's a good thing for the sport. And the fighters that were on HBO, and there weren't many, let's be honest, there weren't many left, but they were huge names. Canelo Alvarez, Gennady Golovkin, two of the biggest names in the sport, probably the two biggest stars slash ticket sellers here in the United States at least. And Canelo's the biggest money man in the sport. They were HBO guys. So where do they go now? And how does that affect if Golovkin wants to fight Jermel Charlo? Which, let me you know state for the record, I'd love to see that damn fight, okay? But where does that go? Charlo's a Showtime guy. Now Golovkin's essentially a free agent, so maybe that happens on Showtime. Where does Canelo go? If there's a third fight between Canelo and Triple G, Bob Arum at top rank has expressed interest of bringing that fight, partnering with Golden Boy and Loeffler, 
and bringing that fight to ESPN. It'd be ESPN pay-per-view, but it'd still be ESPN. I think that would be better than an HBO pay-per-view. So there are a lot of options. And honestly, guys, I'm excited about this. I'm glad HBO is gone. And at the same time, I don't want to sound like I'm ungrateful. Because for four plus decades, HBO really did provide some amazing memories. Some of the the best fighters of, of the last 40 years fought on HBO. That is not a, a, uh, an overstatement. That's the reality. Some fighters eventually went over to Showtime or went to other places. But if you just think about how many fights of the year in recent years have been on HBO, many of them. And I've been ringside for a lot of them. I think of Bradley Provodnikov. I think of uh, Vargas Salido. I think of uh, uh, Vargas Miura. You know, I think of those sorts of events. I was there, you know, and some of the biggest, most important fights, unfortunately, though, have gone to HBO pay-per-view in recent years. And one bad negative thing about the premium cable networks taking over, particularly HBO, at first it was a really, really good thing because you got to think when, when HBO first started and then when Showtime came around, they were trying to provide something different from network TV. They were saying, hey man, here you can hear swearing. Here you can see nudity. Here you can see violence. The other networks were saying no to boxing because of the tragedy with Ray Boom Boom Mancini and Dooku Kim and, and other things. Louis Resto comes to mind. All these other things that happened on network TV. They wanted out of boxing. And here you had these cable, these premium cable networks that were trying to build themselves up. And so they offered it. It was basically if, if, you know, think of prohibition where alcohol is illegal, but there's an underground bar selling booze. Well, that business is going to flourish, right? And if you are in the alcohol distribution business, you're going to start working with those underground bars and, and whatnot to get your product out there. And you're probably, your profit margin is going to be way higher because there's less uh, red tape. So at first, it was really Bob Arum at top rank and it was Don King. Those were the two entities that really took boxing to HBO and profited off of it. Now HBO profited as well, but Bob Arum and Don King profited big time. And so did their biggest stars, particularly Bob Arum's biggest stars because he actually paid them. Don King kept a lot of the money for himself with some of his biggest stars. Not all. A lot of them got paid too. But... At first, it made sense. It worked. But when we started to get into the 21st century and there were different platforms out there, Showtime was a substantial figure in boxing and the international markets were blowing up. There were, there were networks overseas that were doing big numbers in their home countries. Fighters from the UK, from Japan, from Latin America, they didn't necessarily have to come to HBO to get paid. They could do business in their homeland. And then with the rise of the internet, and now you got these streaming platforms, HBO had to make a decision. Do we want to keep up? Do we want to really provide boxing value to boxing fans? Or do we just want to make money off the biggest fights like we've always done? Well, we saw what they chose. What they've done in recent years is put on a few little nuggets here and there and some entertaining cards that were cheap and affordable for them but for the most part the biggest fights were on pay-per-view because that profit structure for them was massive they made a ton of money off those fights they would use guys like Golovkin like Kovalev quite frankly a lot of these Eastern Europeans just the way they had used a lot of Latin fighters before that came cheap that fought hard that were entertaining that they could make money off of because they would do ratings with the ethnic fan base for a relatively low cost. They'd put that on regular HBO. But the bigger stars that wanted eight-figure paydays, that shit's going to pay-per-view. So everybody profited under this scenario. In the sport, the biggest names, the two top promoters, and then it became Golden Boy. You know, Don King is pretty much out of the business, but uh, top rank and Golden Boy profited. Before that, Al Heyman did a lot of business at HBO for a while, and these gross mismatches where fighters were being 
grossly overpaid. Guys like Andre Berto, Jermaine Taylor, et cetera, et cetera. I feel like it became a way to manipulate and abuse fans, particularly in these last few years. You still were provided with some great moments and some great events, but let's be honest, guys. HBO was well past its due date, and they did not make the adjustments in this changing market that Showtime and other providers have made. HBO had the technology. They have the best production in the business, globally, the best production in the business when they really, really put 100% into it. They have digital platforms. They have HBO Go. They have all those uh, services where they could have put more boxing. They didn't do it. They just went for the money. And for Peter Nelson in a recent interview, I think it was with the, the Times, the New York Times. It was either New York or LA Times. He said, um, I'm paraphrasing, but he said basically, we did market research and we found that uh, boxing is no longer a top priority for a, a top reason for why people subscribe to HBO. Well, no shit. That's like saying, you know, uh, I, I don't know. I, I can't think of a metaphor that does it justice, okay? But nobody subscribed to HBO solely for boxing in the last decade. Nobody. Because you weren't getting your money's worth. There are people out there who are casual fans and enjoyed the shows and the movies and stuff HBO does. And boxing was a bonus. That's who ordered HBO. But the last few years, more and more people streamed those pay-per-views illegally. Even the regular fights, the regular HBO, you guys will find a stream. Because you guys tell me all the time. I know a lot of you do it. And HBO, they're not dummies. They did the research and they found, well, 90% of people who are ordering HBO, they're doing it for Game of Thrones. Is that because Game of Thrones is more important than boxing? Or is it because HBO invested more in Game of Thrones than they did with boxing? Well, we can argue that all day. And some of you will say it's column A. Some of you will say it's column B. I tend to lean more towards column B. I think that if you invest in one thing and that's what you push, and that's what you provide in multiple ways and multiple streams to your, uh, to your uh, subscribers, that's what they're going to respond to. It's the same thing at Showtime right now. Their boxing business is flourishing because they're providing value to their subscribers who go to them for boxing. If you are a boxing fan and you can only afford Showtime or HBO, which one have you ordered in the last few years? It's Showtime. So to me, Peter Nelson's comments were idiotic in that interview. Writing's been on the wall. I say farewell to HBO Boxing. Amazing memories. And fortunately for me, because I'm in the business now in a pretty big way, I've been able to attend a lot of these amazing fights. I've been there. And, and, and not just for the fight itself, but all the behind-the-scenes stuff. So I consider myself fortunate. And right now, the last fight on HBO's schedule is Jacobs Derevyanchenko, but I do think they're going to pick up the fight between Dimitri Bivol and Joe Smith Jr. That's still being worked out, but I think they'll pick it up. And if that is picked up, Tiffany and I will make the flight up to Connecticut because I want to be there, not only because I've been covering Bivol pretty heavily, I just did the piece in Ring Magazine, which by the way is going to be in the January issue, not the December issue. But uh, not just for that reason, but because I want to be there for the last HBO championship boxing broadcast. And I do think that will be it. So we'll see what happens there. But, uh, you know, good things, wonderful things, but all good things come to an end, especially if you don't adapt. You adapt or die in media. HBO didn't adapt. They adapted for the things that matter to them, which I've talked about. The political stuff, all the political shows. Uh, the documentaries and the science fiction, you know, fantasy drama series that they do. That's the direction they want to go in. That is what is important to them. And that subscribership has responded. People that subscribe to HBO now, they want Bill Maher. They want John Oliver. That's the point of view that they want. That's where they're going. So that's what showed, or I'm sorry, HBO is focusing on. People who want boxing, they're starting to go to ESPN, ESPN Plus, DAZN, Showtime, and they're going to the internet streams. And HBO knew that. So no surprise they're out of it. 
Rest in peace, HBO. I'm glad you're gone. Thank you for what you did provide, but you also hurt this business. And several generations grew up not seeing boxing because their family could not afford HBO. Now it's coming back. Even if you can't afford Showtime, you can find streams and Showtime airs fights on YouTube. If you have a smartphone, if you have a computer or access to one, you can watch free fights on Showtime's YouTube channel, their Facebook page. So the generations that grew up where HBO was the only place you could watch boxing, thus they never got to see it, their kids are able to watch boxing now on regular TV and all over the internet. So it is a it is a promising new world. And I think that boxing is in a much healthier place now that HBO is gone. Okay, Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury, finally final. I talked about this the other day on the rooftop. December 1st, Los Angeles, still piecing together that undercard. I love that Adonis Stevenson, Alexander Gavazdik on regular showtime just you know bleeds right into the conversation uh, I was just having you know uh, with HBO and Showtime, the difference. I love that they're going to have that fight that leads into the pay-per-view. I think it's great. Uh, Maurice Hooker, Alex Saucedo, November 16th. That is a done deal. That's going to be on ESPN in Oklahoma City. I'm going to consider going out to that one because I think that's going to be a lively, fun atmosphere. Even if I can't make it out there, I can't wait to watch that one on TV. It's going to be a lot of fun. And that's the kind of card that I was just kind of talking about guys i don't want to compare it to um, hbo championship boxing or anything it's not on that level but a hooker saucedo fight that could have been hbo boxing after dark in the 90s it was that sort of environment where you have a hometown fighter uh, fighting in front of his hometown fans raucous crowd you have a regional rivalry a texas and oklahoma guy i think i believe they're both undefeated there's a title on the line that is the kind of thing in the 90s that HBO uh, Boxing After Dark did when they had actual boxing people running things that's been missing. And now that's on ESPN, man. Good stuff. Clarissa Shields and Christina Hammer. That fight is postponed, I guess. Uh, Hammer has an undisclosed illness. I don't know what the hell that means, but apparently she's not going to be able to fight till like next spring. So Clarissa Shields is still going to fight in November. And Hammer's going to sit on the sidelines. Okay, real quick, uh, Billy Joe Saunders. You guys know I talked about him popping for performance-enhancing drugs. Um, it, I don't know if this fight's going to get canceled or not. I heard it was at one point that Massachusetts wasn't going to allow the fight to go forward. They're commissioned there. Now I'm hearing it will. Frank Warren is confident it will happen. So I think the fight between him and Demetrius Andre is still good for Boston. At the time I'm filming this, recording this, it is. So I still think we're going to get that fight. Uh, I don't know if I like that, though. And if I'm Demetrius Andre and his team, uh, I'm having second thoughts about that one. But this is a chance for them to win the title. You just got to know what you're going up against. For Saunders, he's kind of been a mess lately. He had this, and then recently he was fined uh, 100,000 pounds by the BBOC for that video that came out with him messing with some chick, uh, getting her to, uh, I think he like asked her to perform a sex act on somebody, then said, no, 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 don't do that, just hit this guy, because he's a, a pedophile. It was just this odd, bizarre video. It seemed like him and his, his boys were drunk and just having fun with people. Hey, man, if that's the way you get your kicks, cool. Don't video it and release video of it. That's just stupidity. So anyway, he, he's kind of had a tumultuous time. Demetrius Andrade seems focused. I'm leaning more and more towards him in that fight if we still get Saunders Andrade. All right, guys, that's it with news and notes. We got a lot of stuff to review and preview, so let's get to it. Friday, September 28th, which just so happened to be my brother Anthony's birthday, uh, in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, World Boxing Super Series Season 1 Super Middleweight Finale on the Zone. Callum Smith scores a KO7 win over George Groves, fulfills his destiny. This is what we thought Callum Smith was all along. Hasn't quite looked like it all the time, but this is what many, many people expected of him. Improves to 25-0 with 18 knockouts. 
He is now the winner of the first season of the World Boxing Super Series tournament, uh, the Super Middleweight tournament anyway. Of course, Usyk won the Cruiserweight tournament. Uh, Smith's best win is now obviously the George Groves win, who was rated number one by several platforms, including Ring Magazine. And he also KO'd, in the first round, KO'd an undefeated Rocky Fielding, who has gone on to look pretty good. So now Smith has two quality wins, one really good win at super middleweight. And I talked about this the other day on the rooftop. Is he the number one super middleweight right now? I think you gotta rate him number one, just because he has the best wins. You look at uh, Jose Uzcatagui, yes, he beat Andre Durrell. He also lost to Matt Bay Korobov at 160 pounds back in 2014. Now he's improved since then, vastly improved. And that win over Durrell looks pretty good. But is a win over a faded Andre Durrell as good as a win over a possibly faded George Groves? I don't think so. I think that Groves win is more impressive. So I think Smith is the number one super middleweight right now. And I don't think, obviously, Gilberto Ramirez hasn't beat anybody on that level. I talked about Benavidez and his issues. So while Smith is rated number one, I don't see him as the champion. Ring Magazine sanctioned this for their belt because I believe it was the number one versus number three. I understand that in theory, but with, with a division where clearly the, the other top guy is Gilberto Ramirez, and if he can get healthy, David Benavidez, those are clearly, you know, those two guys and Callum Smith are clearly the top three. We need to get a combination of those three to decide a champion, in my opinion. So I don't necessarily rate Callum Smith as super middleweight champ, but he is clearly the most accomplished super middleweight now. And uh, I'd love to see where he goes from here. Just based on heights, size, styles, all of it, I think a fight between Smith and Gilberto Zerto Ramirez is an amazing fight. I hope, I pray to the boxing gods that we get that fight. I don't know if it'll happen though. But if we get that one, the winner of that fight you're probably talking pound for pound list at that point, guys. It's that big of a deal in my opinion. Am, am I crazy? Let me know if I'm crazy on that one. But that's just how I view that fight. All right, also last Friday. It was a loaded Friday, man. Loaded Friday. At Oracle Arena in Oakland, top rank on ESPN. Jerwin Ancajas scores a split decision win. Somewhat controversial split decision win over Alejandro Santiago Barrios. The scores were 116-112. One judge went 118-111 for Barrios, and one judge had it a draw. I wasn't there, obviously. I was in L.A. I was in the same state, but I was down the coast in L.A. I talked to several people who were there who covered that fight, and they felt that Ancajas was a clear winner. It was competitive. It was a lackluster performance from Ancajas, but he was the clear winner. So the one judge that had it 118-111 for Barrios, I don't know what the hell he was watching. That was an Adelaide Bird type of score. So Ancajas keeps the IBF super flyweight title. He says he admits that it was a disappointing performance, but he still wants the top names at 115 pounds. And, you know, he's a fighter that had a lot of juice at one point, but it's kind of fallen off. The momentum he had has kind of fallen off recently, and hopefully he can get back to where he was. Uh, sometimes you just fight down to the level of opposition that you're facing. Sometimes you just have a rough night at the office. Sometimes styles don't work very well. And I don't think we're going to see a rematch of these two fighters. I think Akahas, his uh, matchmaker, Sean Gibbons, says he wants no part of that. They want to move forward to bigger names. And honestly, I don't blame them, and I don't need to see this damn fight again. All right? So just looking at the punch numbers, uh, Ancajas landed 19 more punches, slightly more accurate, slightly more active, uh, 17 more jabs, two more power punches. So that tells you just on punching that it was a very, very close fight. But uh, just Barrios didn't do enough to take the title from the quote-unquote champion. Also on this card, Jose Uscateglio just talked about, scored a unanimous decision win in a 10-rounder over Ezekiel Osvaldo Moderna. Also in California, last Friday, at the Pachanga Resort in Temecula on Showbox, Devin Haney improves to 20-0 with 13 knockouts, doesn't stop Juan Carlos Burgos, but shuts him out over 10 rounds. This kid turns 20 next month. He promoted this card. He's already promoting his own shit on Showtime. Top lightweight prospect. 
blue chip prospect. Now that division, of course, has a lot of loaded talent, particularly at the top. It's very top heavy. But I like what I see from Devin Haney so far. He seems like a smart businessman. He's got himself aligned with some good people in the gym and in the business room, right? And in the office, if you know what I'm saying. So like he, he's aligned himself with good people. It just seems like a smart kid who's got it on the ball, just needs to keep doing what he's doing. Saturday, September 29th. Oh, and by the way, guys, before I get into uh, last Saturday, let me know if you'd be interested in me doing a piece on Devin Haney. I've reached out to, uh, to Graham Houston at Boxing Monthly and to Doug Fisher at Ring Magazine and talked to them about it. If you guys would like to see a feature on Devin Haney, let me know and I'll see which one of those guys uh, would like to jump on that. September 29th, Fantasy Springs Casino in Indio, California. Man, California, another crazy busy weekend of boxing in California. Again, I'll keep saying it, in California, the West Coast is running the game in boxing in America. And last weekend was just more proof of it. On the Facebook Watch, another Golden Boy card on Facebook Watch, Jorge Linares in his first fight at 140 pounds officially KOs Abner Cotto in three rounds. He was coming off that loss to Lomachenko at lightweight in May. And I'm just looking at this 140-pound division. Obviously, they got the tournament going on, World Boxing Super Series Season 2. And there's some uh, young, vibrant talent in that division. However, that IBF title is vacant right now. I don't even think they have a number one rated contender in the IBF. So if I'm Golden Boy and Team Linares, I'm calling up the peeps at IBF and I'm paying some sanctioning fees and I'm trying to work my way up into a title shot there. Why not? While everything's being sorted out with the tournament and all that stuff, sneak your way into a title shot this year. Very, very doable. Jorge Linares is a name. Sunday, September 30th. Oh, another card in California. Citizens Bank Arena in Ontario. PBC on Fox Sports 1. Now, of course, Victor Ortiz was supposed to fight John Molina in the main event. But he was uh, arrested. He turned himself in on multiple charges of sexual misconduct, sexual assault, We'll see what plays out with that. Uh, Victor just can't seem to keep himself out of trouble in recent years. But the card went on, and Brandon Figueroa, Omar Figueroa's brother, his younger brother, by I want to say like seven or eight years, he's a lot younger, from West Laco, Texas, improves to 17-0 with 12 knockouts. He only turns 22 in December. Young guy, featherweight prospect, which I think is where his brother Omar started out at featherweight. He KOs Oscar Escandone, a veteran fighter who's been in there with some good quality opposition. KOs him in the 10th round. Uh, looked pretty good in that fight, too. Was pretty much, uh, I don't want to say a shutout, but it clearly dominated the fight up until that point. So good quality win for him. He keeps moving forward as a featherweight prospect. Speaking of prospects, heavyweight prospect Joe Joyce improved to 6-0 with five knockouts. Went five rounds the most rounds he's gone since his professional debut, so that was good for him. And veteran James DeGale got a KO win on the undercard as well. All right, guys, so that's it. You're all caught up on what took place last week. Let's preview what's coming up this week. Thursday, October 4th in Costa Mesa, you guessed it, California at the hangar, Golden Boy Promotions on ESPN2. They're doing another one of these ESPN cards. Look, Golden Boy Promotions doesn't have a loaded roster. They have one superstar attraction and a bunch of other guys. And they keep their guys busy on cards like this. And some of you guys in other parts of the United States look at these cards and you say, oh, I don't know these fighters, or I don't give a damn, they're small weights, whatever. They're at these tiny little casinos and stuff, and, or these little hangars, tiny little theater venues in and around the Los Angeles, Southern California area. You know what? The people in the Southern California, Los Angeles area enjoy these cards. They go to them. The tickets are cheap. They're fun. They're on a Thursday night, a Friday night, maybe a Saturday or Sunday. But they go to those cards and they do well. That's why they keep putting them on. And it's not just Golden Boy, obviously. I talked about everything that took place last week. There were fight cards in California from Top Rank, from PBC, from Devin Haney. So it's not just a Golden Boy thing, all right? But these cards, 
they are what they are. If you're bored on Thursday night, you want something to watch, turn on ESPN2, and you can see Oscar Negrete, the Colombian who now lives in the Los Angeles area, fighting a fighter out of San Antonio, Joshua Franco, in a bantamweight fight. Oscar Negrete, good, solid fighter. You, you might want to might call him a gatekeeper, you know, that level. That's the kind of guys that fight on ESPN2 on a Thursday night. But you need these kind of cards. You got to keep these guys busy, all right? Saturday, October 6th, Luis Neri fighting in Tijuana, fighting for the vacant WBC silver, silver bantamweight title. Even though, Luis Neri, you might be thinking, where have I heard that name recently? Luis Neri is the former WBC bantamweight champion, but he had performance enhancing drug testing issues, right? Tested positive for a drug last year, but claimed, or maybe it was, yeah, last year, but claimed food contamination. The WBC ordered a rematch with Shinsuke Yamanaka. He failed to make weight against him in March and was stripped of his title. He's had a fight since then. I think he's had two fights since then. Could not make, maybe it was one fight, maybe it was just one. This is his second fight since then. Could not make the bantamweight limit in the rematch with Yamanaka or his comeback fight afterwards. Yet, somehow is sanctioned for none other than an interim, or sorry, silver, Bantamweight title by the WBC. Another questionable decision by the BC involving a fighter who comes from the same country that they are headquartered. I'll just leave it at that. Oh, by the way, that Neri fight is on Mexico Azteca. It's also on the ESPN Plus app. All you guys bitching about these apps. $5 a month and you're getting stuff like this that's picked up all the time. Bitching about $5 a month because it's on your phone, yet you'd rather pay $15 a month for HBO, which is raping you in the ass with no lube for the last few years. Stop your bitching, join the 21st century, pay the $5 a month, get ESPN+. You can get fights like this. If you love boxing and you're a diehard, would you get a Lewis Neri fight from Tijuana on HBO or Showtime for that matter? No, you wouldn't. You're getting it for $5 on ESPN+. Okay, also in Mexico, Johnny Gonzalez is fighting in Mexico City on Mexico Televisa. In Poland, on TVP Sport, former cruiserweight titleist Krzysztof Vlodacek is fighting. You want to check that out. Maybe find a stream of that somewhere. In Thailand, in Bangkok, Wisaksil Wangek, or Srisaketsorangvisai, fighting another no-hoper off TV in Thailand. Since that draw with Juan Francisco Estrada in February on one of the Superfly cards, I don't get what the hell Team Rungvisai is doing. Again, this guy had crazy momentum. He's ruining it. You think back within a 12-month period from last March, last March when he got a disputed win over Roman Gonzalez in a very entertaining fight, then comes back and knocks out Chocolatito, in the rematch on a super flag card, then comes back in February and gets a decision over Juan Francisco Estrada in a great fight, one of the top 10 fights of the year so far. And I don't know, man. Since then, they've just kind of been doing these nondescript fights off TV in Thailand. And I don't even know if he's weighing in at the 115-pound limit. I'm not sure what the hell their business plan is on Team Rungvisai, but they need to get their shit together. So... He's fighting a no-hoper. He's going to win by knockout. No one's going to see it outside of Bangkok. There is a Frank Warren card on BT Sport and ESPN Plus from the UK this Saturday. It's just a bunch of prospects on here. But again, if you're a boxing diehard and you want to see some of these prospects, $5 a month, ESPN Plus, not a bad deal. Jake Catterall is 22-0. and 0. He's at 140 pounds. He'll be on the card. Nicola Adams, female fighter who's 4-0, two-time Olympic gold medalist. Her and Clarissa Shields are the only two people to ever accomplish that feat, the only two female boxers to accomplish that feat. She'll be on the card. An 11-0, 130-pounder, Leon Woodstock will be on the card. And undefeated Daniel Dubois, undefeated heavyweight, 8-0, eight knockouts, fighting the ancient Kevin Johnson, who is my age, <laughs> which is ancient in professional boxing. He has lost eight of his last 12, and he is going out. He's going night-night against Danny Dubois after giving him some rounds. 
Good matchmaking, though. I think Johnson will give Dubois some rounds. He needs it, but he's eventually going to get that guy out of there. And then also this Saturday, a matchroom card from Chicago on zone. Four bouts on zone. None of these fights are really great fights, but you're getting four fights on this card. And they're all going to be fairly entertaining. So, again, if you're paying $10 a month for zone, you're getting... You're getting more than your dollars, your money's worth. I mean, at this point, you're getting more than your money's worth. And if you're a diehard who wants to see more international fighters, you're getting the World Boxing Super Series, and you're getting these matchroom fighters. Dude, what are you bitching about? What are you bitching about? If you don't, like, if you don't want to watch the fights on your phone, go buy a tablet. You can get a tablet for, uh, what? $100, $200 or something. If I'm wrong, correct me. I don't know much about technology. But I think you could go on Amazon and get a tablet for a couple hundred bucks. You could get a laptop for a few hundred dollars at the store online. And then you could put the zone and ESPN Plus on those devices. All right? If you have an Apple TV, you can boost it over to your TV. Guys, get with the 21st century. All right? On this car, Jarrell, Big Baby Miller. All 300-plus pounds of him, he weighed 305 his last fight in April, is fighting Tomas Adamek, who will be 42 years old in December, but he's 355 in boxing years, well past his best. I don't love that matchup. Now, Miller does not hit very hard. He slaps. He's a very light-punching heavyweight, particularly for a guy who weighs... 300-plus pounds. You'd think there's a little more force behind it. But Adamek is so old... So past his best. He takes a good shot. My fear in this fight is that it goes rounds. It could possibly even go the distance. I hope it doesn't. I hope there's a freak second round knockout. But if this thing goes the distance or goes to the 8th, ninth, 10th round, and Adamek just eats punches from a guy who outweighs him by 100 pounds all night, can't be good for the dude's health. He's already going to have health problems as it is because of him carrying on this long I just don't love this, but it's part of boxing. I get it. Also, Jesse Vargas fighting Thomas Delorme, the, uh, the Puerto Rican fighter. Vargas coming off a mixed draw, majority draw, with Adrian Broner in April. And Delorme coming off a unanimous decision loss to Jordinus Ugas last August. Hasn't fought in a year. So this is a chance for Vargas to look good here. Let's see what he does. Artur Beterbiev against Callum Johnson out of the UK. We got a couple UK fighters on this show, which makes a lot of sense. This is the first defense of Beterbiev's IBF light heavyweight title. Two O's on the line here. We got two undefeated records, so uh, this should be a good one. And for Beterbiev, talk about a guy who's killed his momentum. Hopefully he can get it kicked back up again because he fights in one of the potentially hottest divisions in boxing if the top guys keep fighting each other. Daniel Roman versus Gavin McDonald, Jamie McDonald's twin brother from Yorkshire. In the main event, uh, Roman, this will be the third defense of his WBA 122-pound title that he won over in Asia. He's defended it over there, and now he's fighting in Chicago. So that should be a fun card. Again, None of these fights are going to be a fight of the year or anything like that. None of them are super important for their division. But all in all, four good quality scraps with, with some interesting styles, fighters from different parts of the world. Not a bad card. I don't know how it's going to do in Chicago with the crowd there. I think having Adamek on there will help because there's a large Polish contingency there. There's a large Mexican contingency there. So having Roman on there and Vargas on there will help as well. We'll see. Sunday, October 7th, Yokohama, Japan, World Boxing Super Series Season 2. Kyrol Relic from Belarus is fighting Edward Troyanovsky from Russia, who is 2-0 since his KO1 loss to Julius Ndongo in December of 2016. This is for the WBA Super Lightweight or Junior Welterweight 140-pound title. Relic is one of these guys uh, who's kind of learned on the job. You know, he's improved. Over the last few years, he went 12 rounds with Ricky Burns in 2016, lost that fight. He went 24 rounds with Rancis Bartholomew last May and this March. 
And this March in that rematch with Bartholomew looked noticeably better. So he's a guy that's kind of peaking and learning and getting better. Troy Anofsky, you know, at one point he had no, he had a title, and a lot of people uh, were pretty high on him. I've just never really been a believer. I, I like Relic in this fight. Also on this card, Naoya Inoue, the monster, going up against a Dominican-born, Miami-based fighter, Juan Carlos Payano. Good fighters, been in there with some good quality fighters himself. This is the first defense of Inoue's WBA bantamweight title that he won from Jamie McDonnell, TKO1 TKO win back in May. That's going to be an exciting fight, man. And uh, the local fans there are going to go crazy for that one. Also on this card, Ken Shiro. Fourth defense of his WBC junior flyweight or 108-pound title going up against Filipino fighter Milan Melindo. So that's it rounding out this weekend. Uh, Last two weekends, last weekend and then this coming weekend, boxing on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Good stuff. Well, actually, this week it's Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday. But a lot of boxing, man, a lot of boxing. All right, guys, so happy to be back. Sorry for the late Uh, episode of TNC this week. We'll be back on Monday next week, back to the regular schedule. I'll see you at the fights.